Welcome to the Teaching Value in Healthcare Learning Network. Join us to hear leaders in the field share practical and tangible advice about how to develop engaging curriculum and health system innovation to train a new generation of healthcare providers from diverse specialties and professions skilled to deliver high value care. With national concerns about rising healthcare costs, as well as overuse, underuse, and misuse of medical care, Cost of Care and the ABIM Foundation created the Learning Network as a space to share ideas, educational materials, and strategies with an open forum. Our goal is to discuss ways to get started, implement, and sustain feasible innovations in teaching value at your institutions. I'm Reshma Gupta, the Director of Outreach and Evaluation at Cost of Care, and I'll be moderating today's webinar. Today, we will share an innovation in teaching value and disseminating value improvement interventions. We're excited and honored to have Dr. Pam Johnson, who is one of our winners of the Value Challenge. Dr. Johnson is the Vice Chair of Quality and Safety in the Department of Radiology and an Associate Professor of Radiology and Radiologic Sciences and the co-founder and co-director of the High Value Practice Academic Alliance through Johns Hopkins University. We'll be sharing her program, Ordering Wisely, as well as discussing the High Value Practice Academic Alliance. Pam, I'll let you take it away to provide an overview of your programs. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to talk about our educational programs and our, and our national network, information sharing network, designed to advance high value quality improvement across the country. So our Order Wisely program started two years ago and basically the radiology department wanted to make sure that the non-radiology doctors were well educated in appropriate imaging. And especially for the more expensive advanced imaging like CT and MRI. So we surveyed our community practice doctors, and actually we surveyed multiple specialists, and we asked them, where are your challenges in, uh, in understanding appropriate use of imaging? And we, we tallied their results and came up with 10 or 12 topics that they felt they would benefit from more education. So from that, we launched a, a half a day program that preceded our first National High Value Alliance Conference, and it covered common clinical indications like headache, neck pain, low back pain, um, chest pain. And it was, it was very well received. We had, I think one of the strengths of the program is that the lectures are 12 minutes and they focus only on when, when is it appropriate to image a patient and in some cases, what's the optimal protocol to image a patient and when should we avoid imaging because it's not adding value. So after our first year, we decided to expand the program and we added more imaging topics and we made it a full day program. So in the morning, medical providers, physicians, advanced practice providers and residents actually were all, all participated. We taught them about appropriate imaging and we expanded it to cover CMS's eight priority clinical areas. So for those who are not familiar with the CMS Appropriate Use Criteria Program, the CMS is going to require that all ordering providers in the outpatient setting and the emergency department setting consult a, a clinical decision support tool 
when ordering CT, MRI, and nuclear medicine beginning January 2020. And we, we feel that it's a good opportunity for us to ensure that providers are educated about the appropriate use criteria for their eight priority clinical areas, which are headache, neck pain, low back pain, shoulder pain, hip pain, pulmonary embolism, coronary artery disease, and lung cancer. So in our 2018 program, we covered all of those topics. And we learned some lessons because it was a, a one-day program, and yet we had hospital hospitalists and ambulatory providers and emergency medicine providers. And these managing these presentations is very different depending on the patient care setting. So we're very excited that for a 2019 conference in November that we're going to be offering four separate tracks to cover appropriate use of tests and treatments for the ambulatory setting, the hospital, the emergency department, and for pediatric practice. That's a great, great summary. And I, I, it shows kind of the enthusiasm throughout the country that when you get started with these efforts, you start making all kinds of friends, you know, for folks that are looking for like-minded individuals to get involved. I kind of wanted to take us back to some of the, the things that you mentioned at the beginning, which was the initial motivation, and especially within your own institution, about what was the prevalent culture, you know, on the ground before you got started. And, and I think one unique thing you said is that um, there's community as well as kind of the academic providers and practices and, and how you, you deal with potentially those differences in culture getting started. Yes. So, yes, so we have in our health system, we have five hospitals and a large community practice. It locally and then a sixth hospital actually and I, I'm actually very impressed with the with the level of collaboration that we have between the academic and the community practice we all work very closely together and because Maryland is a very interesting state with different reimbursement models where we for years we had a global budget regardless of how many patients we cared for and now we've actually transitioned into a total cost of care model where we're responsible for the continuum of care for each patient. So it's, it, it's, um, it's designed to, to improve care in the ambulatory setting to protect patients from needing to come to the emergency department or, or to be hospitalized. And so the mission is really very good. And it has facilitated great relationships between the community practice and the emergency department and the hospital physicians. Um, but, but if you're going to educate broadly, it's, it, it's an interesting, uh, it's a different paradigm. We're so used to educating in our own specialty and now we're educating across specialties. And I think, I, I feel like we've done a good job here in, you know, at Johns Hopkins, we're really very thoughtful about how we care for patients, but we've never had paradigms where radiologists broadly educate non-radiologists across specialties. It's always been you go to a CME conference in your own specialty. And so I think that that's the way that we have to move as we're trying to improve healthcare value, whether it's transfusions, you know, the anesthesiologists need to work with the surgeons and the medical doctors. And, and even the, the way that we publish, we're always, we've always been publishing in our own journals, but we won't, in radiology, we won't reach the physicians and advanced practice providers who are ordering if we only publish in our own journal. So um, it's been very well received. The providers, whenever I teach them about 
CT, abdominal CT protocol selection, I always ask, has anybody ever taught you this? Does anybody have a high degree of confidence on how to order? And they all just say no. So, so I think it's, it's appreciated. Yeah, no, I think it's a unique model, the fact that it is um, multi-specialty and even potentially, you know, multidisciplinary in a lot of ways for so our staff um, also understand and kind of approach the same, you know, kind of supporting our patients in similar, with similar messaging. One question I had is just on that. So as you're preparing and you're thinking about teaching in these different topics, how uh, challenging has it been or what barriers have there been in modifying that for those different audiences and what are ways that um, you know your group has kind of overcome those? Yeah so that's an excellent question because I have to hypothesize what I think it is that they want to learn and it's been a little bit of trial and error and I think what one of the things that resonates very well is discussion of different cases because we're all caring for patients we're just caring for them from a different perspective and, and just trying rather than, um, I think, just showing the limitations of different imaging tests from our perspective, from what we see, the challenges that we might have in actually making a diagnosis, and therefore we want to ensure that imaging is appropriate. That, is a, that has resonated very well, too. So, um, and feedback is key. So we've, before I started on this, I certainly asked my medicine colleagues, what is it that you really want to learn about? And with respect to body imaging, it's, you know, they want to understand when to give IV contrast, when to give oral contrast, when they should worry about contrast-induced nephropathy. And so it was really helpful to, to get that information in advance. And when you think back, um, you know, as you're thinking about if there's other uh, institutions that are si similarly interested in working across specialties, what have been some of the other kind of greatest challenges that you faced or lessons learned that you would tell them or kind of wish that you knew at the beginning as you embarked on this? Yeah, so I was asked to, to direct appropriate imaging, I think it was 2016, at, by my chair here. And um, it has been interesting to me because I would, as a radiologist, trying to make sure that we weren't imaging patients who didn't need it, I thought it would be very well received because we're the ones who will face the financial penalty, right? And so, um, so I figured that the ordering physicians would appreciate, from, but from their perspective, it was very different. And I, and I discovered that you really need to first spend time talking and understanding what the challenges of your colleagues are and not just assuming that that just because you have a certain lens and perspective on what you think is, is appropriate practice, you have to understand the pressures and the challenges that they feel. Mm -hmm. And so I think one good example is the emergency department. So we do every hospital and health system does a lot of imaging in the emergency department. In fact, most advanced imaging has plateaued except for in the emergency department across the country. But the emergency department is a very different setting from ambulatory and inpatient care and it's, it's some place where imaging really adds value to their ability to deliver care efficiently and effectively and reliably. And so if they want to do, if they're imaging because they want to be sure that a patient can be discharged safely, then that's a good use of imaging, even a negative imaging test. Mm -hmm. And they have the pressures of getting the patients through the emergency department and not having, not admitting patients who don't need to be admitted. And again, imaging is an important tool there. And so 
I really learned a lot about understanding the different pressures that different specialists feel and how we can work together to use imaging to help them and for them to, uh, you know, to collaborate with us to facilitate not only what we want to be doing in terms of appropriate imaging, but what kind of information should we be providing them that's going to help them best manage patients. Yeah, I mean, I think you're highlighting just that aspect of culture, right, within it's all, almost these microcultures that sit in the different specialties and those pressures, fears, other concerns, workflows that go into the decision-making in the end of the day. Um, so I think it's great. I wanted to also um, ask you, you know, you were mentioning that over time, from the time you started to now, it has just grown, and you're working with various other specialists in, in the conference that you had mentioned. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that and also how, you know, listeners to this might be able to get involved. Well, it has been just a really wonderful experience because we started this, you know, we started our conference locally because we wanted to work with our own local physicians and providers. And then we even had in, we had a high value conference here at Hopkins just to learn what was going on across the health system. And then when we decided to reach out and create a, a larger network um, that the High Value Alliance, I was just it just took off. And I, I think one of the reasons is is that the colleagues that I that, that I work with here, they're just so passionate about what they do. And once these champions in different institutions learned that there was an opportunity to be to come together as a group and more efficiently advance this work, they were all very enthusiastic. And so we created the, this High Value Alliance. We now have almost 100 academic institutions, large and small across the country. And we started it with the academic setting because we want to engage residents and students and ensure the future of healthcare. So we have them work on our quality improvement projects with us. They co-author the papers that we publish. We encourage them to present at the conference. That's really one of our core principles, and that's why we started in the academic setting. But we are really excited that the American Hospital Association partnered with us so that we can reach beyond the academic setting and learn about what, what physicians and providers are doing in non-teaching hospitals, because people are working on this across the country in all care settings. And it is really very beneficial just to have these discussions. And so, you know, we spend a, an hour every month talking about a different topic with all the institutions calling in and learning how people have navigated the challenges and succeeded in improving value in their institution so that they can do this without having to recreate the wheel. And, it, you know, it is a, it's a challenging process to change behavior in a way where we ask people to do less because we're just so naturally, um, you know, thorough and, and we want to be comprehensive in the care that we deliver. And, and so it's, it's a different way of looking at how we deliver care. But we have to trust the evidence and we engage the evidence and, and embrace it. And so that's what we've been doing. But the network of people, they're just phenomenal, as I'm sure you've found it too. And, you know, regardless of specialty, they're just a very, uh, very mission-oriented group. And they have all volunteered their time to, you know, to a great extent. We have a future leader program with six faculty from across the country educating 50 residents on a completely volunteer basis every year to prepare them to become champions. And they're very excited about creating a, 
you know, a web of providers that's going to go out to different institutions and do the same, you know, and so, so it's just been a, a wonderful group as I'm sure you found in your, in your experience too. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, um, I'd love for you to share when, when the conference is, where it is, how, how folks might be able to get involved. Certainly. So we have, we're holding our third conference in the, in Baltimore, the Baltimore Convention Center, and it is co-directed by the High Value Practice Academic Alliance and the American Hospital Association. And it is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine CME office. So it's a three-day program that's November 15th through 17th. And November 15th is the Order Wisely Conference with, as I mentioned, the four different tracks, pediatrics, emergency medicine, ambulatory care, and um, hospital medicine in the morning and then in the afternoon. There's going to be uh, great opportunities for networking and, and, and working together, collaborating on projects from uh, in a less formal way. And then on Saturday and Sunday, we have all the abstracts and poster presentations. So great. Well, I want to thank you so much for um, joining us today and providing our listeners with more information about your great innovations and also about this conference and how they can get involved going forward. And so thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.